0: And so we're going to start in the book of Romans. Um, Romans is uh, Romans is a fascinating book. It's probably the it sounds funny to say it it's probably the single most influential book of the Bible. The Bibles broken up into 66 books, and they all collectively tell the same story. They're all equally written by the Holy Spirit for us to learn and grow from. But <clears throat> Romans is one of those books that just as you watch its role throughout history, has had an impact in a really, really profound way. Romans is the book that, uh, that really impacted the life of the man who we now call St. Augustine, who was really probably the greatest theologian in church history outside of uh, the men who actually wrote the New Testament. Later on, uh, about 500 years ago, Romans was really the book that set a man named Martin Luther... On his quest to to understand grace and to realize that what the church had devolved into was not what God had ordained it to be, and so if you have uh, if you're part of a Protestant church today in the world, it's directly tied back to the Book of Romans and a man reading the Book of Romans and letting the truths of what is in that book speak to his heart. So as we're going through this, you know we are going to go a little bit slower this year, right? Last year we did 66 books in 52 weeks. Uh, this year is going to be, I forget, I haven't counted it up, more like 12 to 15 books in, more than that, 20-ish books in 52 weeks. So it'll be a little bit slower, but, uh, but we're still going to be moving, okay? We're going to be covering some ground, and so I said it last year a lot, but I, I, it's no less true this year, and that is that what we're going to cover on Wednesday nights is going to be a great, hopefully, addition to what you're doing on your own. Tonight we're going to cover Romans chapter 1 and 2. it's impossible to cover Romans 1 and 2 fully in 45 minutes. It just can't be done. And so you need to go back, you need to read it yourself. And anything you hear in church on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, at a Bible conference, anywhere uh, in your life should drive you back to the Word of God. It should never be, okay, good, I'm good, now I understand what this chapter says, I can just kind of skim it. No, it should always be, okay, I'm better equipped to dig into it further. I'm better equipped to see the application and grow deeper into it. So Romans is uh, just very much one of those books. And so I'm, I'm very excited about it. Um, Romans is also an interesting book out of what Paul writes, because every other letter that Paul writes, he's writing to a church that he started or to a person that he has mentored. Romans is is distinct in that Paul has never been to this church at the time that he writes it. He's never been, he's heard about it, he didn't start this church. And so because of that, he has a little more freedom in this book, he doesn't have to write and say, hey, you know, I, I got an update on you guys from Timothy or Titus or Epaphras or Aquila and Priscilla. And, you know, they said, you're doing great in these things, and that's great. And they said, you're struggling with these things. And here's how this needs to be fixed or resolved. Here's the, you know, the answers to the issues you guys asked me. Paul doesn't do that in Romans because he's never been to this church. So he doesn't have to deal with the issues in the church. He's really writing them a letter to say, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you guys. I really hope I get to come visit you at some point in time. In the meantime, I thought I'd just write you this little letter, um... And just kind of reminding us all of, of what the gospel is. And so it's really almost, in a sense, Paul's like master's thesis on theology, on the gospel. And so there's, just, um, there's a freshness that he writes it with that leaves it very open for all of us to absorb all that he's saying. And so if you want to sort of break the book of Romans down into categories—I heard a pastor say this and I really like it— you can think of Romans as sort of a big theological city. And there's four main buildings— in that city. And the first building you come to is a courthouse. And in the courthouse you find out uh, there's a standard and you're guilty. And The second one you come to is a um, power plant because you realize you're guilty and then you realize, okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers salvation, but now you need the power of God to work in your life. And so you've got your courthouse, you've got your power plant, then you've got a synagogue, because Paul's going to pause for three chapters and say, how does what we believe about the gospel impact the Jewish people, and, and does that mean that God replaced Israel, and, and all of that? And He's going to address all that in chapters 9, 10, and 11, and then in the end, think of it as a church. He's going to give some application, hey, here's how a church is supposed to respond to what we've covered, to the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so, what we're going to see is, in a sense, this city. Tonight, we're going to go through chapters 1 and 2, the really the first... Four to five chapters, Paul's going to be unpacking this courthouse idea of what's the verdict on your life. And so we're going to open it up. Chapter 1, verse 1. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version if you've got a digital Bible and you want to get to that version. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul opens up the book. He says, hey guys, just want to say hey. Um... But really, right here, he's giving us an outline of the entire book. The whole book, we're going to unpack. Paul says, I'm called, I'm separated to the gospel. The gospel, what? That God has promised through his prophets concerning who? Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. He's a a human. He is God in flesh. He's fully man and fully God. He says he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. He's declared to be the the son of God, not by intuition or not by wishing it to be true. He's declared by the spirit of holiness and by the demonstration of him rising from the dead. Through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. So through the gospel prophesied by God, to which we have been called and separated through that, through him, we've received grace for obedience among all nations. Anywhere in the world, you can absorb the gospel and still have its truth impact your life. And then he says, you know, this is to all the saints who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. If you're called to be a saint, what is a saint? A saint is not an extra spiritual person. A saint is any person who believes that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again. If you believe that, you're a saint. You're one of the children of God. And and so to you, Paul addresses this letter, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see this over and over again in Paul's letters. He opens up, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Uh, He gets to some of the letters to specific individuals. He'll say grace, mercy, and peace. Well, they're always in this order. It was a common Christian greeting at the time, and it blended a Greek greeting or more of a secular greeting and a Jewish greeting. The Greeks would say... um, the the peace of the god, I'm sorry, the grace of the gods be upon you. And the Jewish people would say, peace. And Paul pulls them together to say, The grace of God and the peace of God, may they be yours. And they're always in that order because you never have peace from God until you've experienced the grace of God. So right there, the first seven verses, we get an overview of what we're covering. We're covering the gospel of God that's been demonstrated through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit of Holiness, and we're going to see how it And the truth of that gospel gives us grace and peace. So we get the overview right there. verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. So just here we notice, okay, Paul's heart for other people. Paul's heart to see people encouraged and strengthened. Paul is a guy who prays for people. Every, uh, I think every one of his letters, he tells us about how he's praying for people. And it's not because he's bragging. He's just saying, hey, I want you guys to be encouraged. I'm praying for you. And, and throughout his letters, we get lists that Paul gives us of what he's praying for these people. And, and they're fantastic lists. Write them down. I keep a list of them in my Bible. If you're not sure what to pray for somebody, pull them out and pray that for someone. You'll be praying the, the words of God that the Holy Spirit gave Paul on someone else's life. If you're not sure what to say, that's a great place to start. Paul goes through all, so many of his books. He says, you know, I'm praying that you'll increase and abound in the knowledge of God that you'll be strengthened with power for the attaining of steadfastness and patience that, that you know you'll know the love of God and be filled with his fullness paul is praying things for people and this is for pe- these here the romans are people he's never met paul's praying paul's got a desire to see a bigger expanse of the gospel paul is not interested in hey i want to have a nice club of people who make me comfortable people who I like, people who agree with me theologically, and we're all going to have a nice club that gets together on Sundays and maybe on Wednesdays if we feel like it. That's not what Paul's here for. Paul's here because he believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He believes that Jesus <clears throat> came to earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is offering salvation to all of us. He goes on in verse 13. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, <clears throat> that I often plan to come to you but was hindered until now. And that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. And so Paul's praying, he says, hey guys, I want you to know, I just want to come. I want to be a blessing to you. I'm not quite sure what God's plan is, but I believe that I'm going to make it. Now, interestingly, historically, when Paul writes this, this is before Paul's third missionary journey. And so we know from the book of Acts that, Paul does make it to Rome on an all-expenses-paid trip in the prison section of the ship, right? Paul makes it to Rome in in the fullness of God's will. It's not the ride he was hoping for, right? So Paul is saying, hey, you know what? I believe God's—I'm praying for an opportunity, and I haven't had it yet, but I know that when it comes, it'll be it'll be great. And it comes, and it's great. Paul gets the chance to share the gospel with all these people— Along the way, on his path and his journey, but it's not the journey that he was expecting, and we're going to see that, you know, the gospel does not make our life simpler, in a lot of ways. It oftentimes will, from an earthly perspective, complicate our lives. But Paul's going to say, "I know that when I come, I'll come in the fullness of Christ." There's there's a sense of solidity. That's a word, right? That's a word. It is now. There's a sense uh, that Paul's just anchored to a truth that hey, the, God is going to bring me here when it's time. And so he gets stuck on a prison ship on his way to Rome. He's like, hey, this maybe wasn't what I anticipated, but, but God's bringing it. So verse 16, um, for I am not, so he says, sorry, back up. He said, basically, I just want to come. I want to preach the gospel and share with you guys. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This here is a a critical verse to the book of Romans. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for two reasons. It's the power of God, and it's the righteousness of God, right? Through the gospel, we see the power of God, and we see the righteousness of God revealed through, he says here, faith. Not through works, not through making things happen on your own, but through faith. Now, here's the thing. I was just thinking about this this week. If we went around this room and, and were to ask everyone individually or ask in the privacy of our own hearts, are you a Christian? Right? That, that, we, most of us, uh, I think just about all of us, I hope, uh, would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. And so we can all say, hey, I believe, I believe, I'm a Christian. I believe in the gospel. Great. If I said... Do you have the power of God and the righteousness of God in your life? What would we say? Most of us, if not all of us, would say, "Well, um, you know, it's well. I'm it, not as much as I'd like, right? No, I'm getting there. No, I'm not getting there. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. But here's the thing: it's the same question. The gospel is the power of God." and the righteousness of God. And we have this idea sometimes that God is able to save our souls, but he's not able to change our day-to-day lives. And so if you believe in the gospel of God, then you need to understand what that is is that is you are also believing that the power of God and the righteousness of God are yours for the taking. And if you don't believe that, then you need to back up and say what is the God that I'm believing in? Who who when I say I believe in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? Because Right here, the gospel is the power of God and the righteousness of God, and that's where we're going to go in this book. That's where Romans is going to take us. Paul is going to take us through and say, here's what's available to us, and he emphasizes it's through faith. It's not through, hey, we're going to get this done on our own strength because we're Americans, and we can can do things this way. It's going to be by faith, by believing and receiving the power and the righteousness that he's offering. This has nothing to do with what what we're capable of. This has nothing to do with how strong we are, or how much discipline, or how much self-will, or self-help. This has everything to do with, is God able to fulfill his word? And nothing to do with, are you good enough, or are you strong enough? And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, you need to understand the gospel of God is the power of God and the righteousness of God. They are not two separate issues, right? So if you can if you can say I'm a Christian then understand what that means is you are saying I am I am I have access to that power and that righteousness that doesn't mean you're perfect doesn't mean I'm perfect but it means we understand that we have free access to the presence of God to that kind of power and righteousness and if we don't get that rest of this book isn't going to make sense that's where we're going to go and Paul's going to even go on in chapter 7 and 8 and he'll say hey look Basically, I know the frustration of trying this to my own strength. I know what it feels like to try for the power of God and the righteousness of God. It's depressing. It's agonizing. It is condemning. And then chapter 8, he's going to switch gears and say, hey, I don't have to do it. The Spirit of God is the one who's going to do it. So we're going to move on. And he's now going to break down. Uh, he's going to say that, you know, he says in verse 17 there, the righteousness of God is revealed. Through faith because it's written the just shall live by faith and now he's going to break down and talk about basically there's two different kinds of people who need this gospel and there are unrighteous people and there are self-righteous people and so he's going to start with the unrighteous person these are people who just hey are you a bad person yep i'm a pretty bad person right do you do bad things yes i do right i'm going to hell but i'll be with my friends i don't know how you know that but anyways um verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So he says, God has wrath towards unrighteousness. God takes sin seriously, but notice what's happening here. He says, it's the truth of God is being suppressed in unrighteousness by wicked men and they are without excuse. He says, the evidence of God, the reality of God has been revealed. And it is so obvious that no person can truthfully look at the world that we live in and conclude that there is no God. Now, people can say they believe that. They can even delude themselves into believing that if they try hard enough. But God weighs the hearts. And God knows in the integrity of each person's heart, there is no excuse for saying, no, I don't think there's a God. No, I I don't think I really need to worry about that. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I, that's not my problem. And he says, although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, and nor were they thankful. And their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. When you live in a culture that is full of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, what happens? You have experts who are fools. And, and that's, that's what Paul's describing. He says, they're changing the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. What are we doing? We're reducing the glory of God into just, a, you know, who is God? Who is Jesus? Well, he's a really nice teacher. He, you know, he was, he was a good ancient rabbi. He was a, a faith teacher of whatever. No, he was not. If Jesus isn't who he said he was, he was somewhere between a lunatic and a sadist. Because no man can tell you to lay down your life for something that he believes isn't true. Unless he's either insane or cruel. And so, uh, Jesus wasn't a good teacher. He either was God or he was not. But he wasn't a good teacher. And so, he says, when you suppress the truth in our righteousness, you profess to be wise. These are people who can make very intellectual arguments about why they don't think God exists. And what are they in the eyes of God? They're fools. And so, he's going to describe now what happens when a culture suppresses the truth to the point that God gives them up to their sin. Verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So he starts off. And I'm, I'm aware there's ages in the room, so I'll be as delicate as I can. But um, what's a mark that God has let a culture give itself over to sin? It's the rise and acceptance of homosexuality. That's where we're at, guys. We're in a culture that has, has sold itself to sin and suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that God has no vision for America. That doesn't mean that we should all just go pack up and move out. But it does mean that if you're putting your hope in any kind of political system, and any kind of earthly leadership, you're wasting your time. It's not to say those things aren't important, because they are. We're given a stewardship of the right to vote right now and then we have a responsibility to take that wisely. But here's the deal. If you're putting your faith right now in anything other than the power of God and the righteousness of God, changing things in our world, it's a futile hope. So one of the marks that a society has been given over is the rise and acceptance of homosexuality. Now, we need to understand as Christians a couple things. One, that is a sin. Two, it's not the greatest or the only sin, right? And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can say, you know, oh, that's an easy sin for us to sort of rope off and say, well, that's not my sin, so here's a great opportunity for me to go off on why this sin is so bad, and this is why people who do this are awful and and this is so bad. And here's what we and so we got to be careful. We're always treading a line here. We can never ever as biblically minded Christians say that homosexuality is not a sin. We can also never ever as biblically minded Christians say that someone's particular sin makes them worse in the eyes of God than we are. Right? Right When someone walks in sin, the fact that it might be a sin that feels a little abnormal to your inclinations doesn't make it more sinful. It just means that you're better at excusing your own sins. And in the eyes of God, it's what you do is still a sin. Now, there are different consequences of sin. There are different uh, effects that will catch up to you in a physical way quicker with different sins. Sure. But understand what he's saying here is, is, is you know you can read this and if you're not careful you can say exactly right preach it Paul those are the bad guys and then he's going to go on just a little further and say well yeah that also includes though um, people who envy so if you ever wanted something else of somebody's that would include you uh, boasters if you ever thought you're awesome or just awesomer than the person next to you then you're on that list too uh, undiscerning disobedient to parents So this list is, you know, we can, if you're not careful, you can kind of like try and break down, what's Romans 1 in my mind again? Oh yeah, it's all about homosexuality. No, it's not. It's about unrighteousness. And it's about the fact that unrighteousness is what rises when you suppress the truth of God. When a culture or a society or an individual suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, what happens? Unrighteousness increases. And so, and and then sort of the tail end of that chapter, he says, and sort of the, the final, uh, just went blank on a metaphor there, but sort of the, the finale is that those who practice such th- things, they're not only doing these things, but they're also approving of, these, of those who practice them. There's a, now a celebration of these sins. And that's a mark in a society that the Lord is letting us reap the consequences of the sins that we've walked in. So chapter one, he's talking about who needs the gospel, who needs the gospel? Unrighteous people, they need the gospel. Chapter two, he's going to flip the page. And say there's another group, though. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1. You are inexcusable, O oh man. Whoever you are who judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. You say, wait a second. That's not true. I'm not, you know, this is where, again, we've got to be careful not to try and rope off sins into different categories. Well, I don't do that sin. He says, hey, you know what? You're, you're just as guilty in the eyes of God. Verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God." who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So, he switches gears. He says, hey, if you read through the list in Romans chapter 1, and you said, you're right, those are sins, then guess what? You're just as guilty. Because here's what you just did. You passed judgment on someone else. The second you pass judgment, the second you say this is right or wrong, you're assuming that you know a moral standard. As soon as you say that's wrong, that means you know what right is. And as soon as you know what right is, that means you are under that law and that judgment. And so his point here is: if you think of yourself as a good person, once you use a standard of right and wrong, you're submitting yourself to the level to the to the standard that God has imposed on your heart. C.S. Lewis once said, if there's a universal law of conscience in every human being, then the only reasonable assumption is that there must be a universal lawgiver. Right? If, if you can come out of the womb knowing that lying is wrong across cultures, across languages, across history, then a very reasonable conclusion is there's a God who puts that in our hearts. And so the second I can say, oh, that's perverted, what am I doing? I'm responding to the conscience that God has put in my heart, which means I am aware enough to recognize it and evil enough to shut it off when it's convenient for me. And so he says, look, if you're going to pass judgment, you've got to understand there are unrighteous people in the world, absolutely, but there are self-righteous people, and you are just as in need of God to step in and fix you, because you are a sinner. You are wicked in the eyes of God. You are an evil person. And you can say, well, I never do those kinds of things. The second you say that, you confirm that you know enough of God's law to be guilty of breaking it. And God's standard is not a sliding scale. God does not grade on a curve. God issues everyone a declaration of either guilty or not guilty. And so it's not, hey, I'm better than. No, 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 no. If you're going to do this on your own, you're going to have to be as good as Jesus Christ. Flawless. There is no maybe, there's no kind of, there's no pretty solid Right? We're talking about you're going to have to attain to the power of God and the righteousness of God all on your own. And you're not going to do it. So what do you need? You need the gospel through faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17. And so he's going to go on. Uh, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves and their thoughts, between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach to the man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So here he just kind of goes on. He's saying, look, he's, he's, you know, he, he's aware that as he levels the playing field and demonstrates that unrighteous people are in God's eyes the same as self-righteous people, He's aware that there are self-righteous people who are going to say, wait a second, back up. That is so not true. I do all kinds of good things, right? I I give money to the poor. I'm not cheating on my wife. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? I made my wife a cup of coffee this morning. Like, that's like an extra bonus, right? There's there's surely like a point scale where we could notch this up. And he says, no, 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 You're, you're implementing a standard." Who gets to set a standard right like, like are we gonna just make a rule like to be nice enough you have to give x percent of your money away well but wait a second but like what about super rich people because when they give that percent they don't feel it the same way right so so maybe it needs to be like a, a you know a graduated income basis he's, he's, he's saying you can't make rules that will establish who's good and who's bad and he says if you're a teacher if you pass judgment, if you say, hey guys, let me explain to you, this is right, this is wrong. Any teacher knows that you don't always keep what you teach. I, you know, Damien Kyle, I think, is one of the best Bible teachers alive right now, and he says to be a pastor is, by definition, to be a hypocrite, because you stand up on a Sunday and a Wednesday and you say, here's what the Word of God says, here's the perfect standard, and then you go home and you don't live up to it. And he said, there's, there's always a gap between what you teach and what you live. And it should be closing as you grow in the Lord and as you walk in the Lord. But there's always a gap, right? If I could live out everything that I say on a Wednesday night, it'd be phenomenal. Um, and, but there's a growing process that happens for all of us. But if you teach, he says, you know, you say that a man shouldn't steal. Do you steal? Well, how much is stealing? Like, what if somebody was, you know, it wasn't stealing. They just didn't say that I could have it. That's mostly not stealing, right? Or you who teach that you shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Jesus said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you're committing adultery. That sends every person in the room to hell, right? And so you can say, oh, no, 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 those unrighteous people, those people are the bad ones. He says, no, 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 you're the bad ones. We collectively as the church are the bad ones. And so we need to understand this because The world is wicked. The world is full of sin and darkness and evil, and God's going to deal with it. But even if we're not walking in active evil, we're still walking in self-righteousness. We still are guilty of sinning against the Lord, and so we are still just as in need of the gospel, the grace of God. We need God's forgiveness in our life. If we're going to have access to the power of God and the righteousness of God, We're going to have to receive it because you can never clean yourself off enough. You're going to have to let God reclothe you in his righteousness. And he says here in verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision and will not the physically uncircumcised if he fulfills the law judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God. I'm going to assume that everybody in the room either knows what circumcision is or has a parent they can ask. So if you don't know, tough luck. Um, But basically, it's an external symbol of I want to remove the flesh and the sin from my heart. I want to be sanctified for for the work that the Lord's called me to do. And Paul's point here is it's just a physical sign. It's not going to do you anything. right? Circumcision won't save you. External acts of, hey, I want to be righteous. I'm doing good things. I'm, you know, I'm rocking for Jesus. I've got bumper stickers and t-shirts and I've even got Bible cases and like whatever else, whatever you think is cool and spiritual. That's external stuff. That's not going to do anything for you. That's not going to save you. That's not going to make you holy. It's not going to make you righteous. I mean, it can sometimes, you know, serve as good reminders to you, to, to stay away from certain things or kind of put up barriers in your life. And I'm, not, I'm not discrediting that. But outward signs of holiness aren't going to do a thing. Your problem is not external. Your problem is internal. You don't need to be circumcised in a physical sense. You need to be circumcised in a spiritual sense. You've got a spiritual flesh, Paul is saying. And it needs to get cut off. Right? We don't need to play with it. We don't need to kind of string it along. We don't need to you know make, make treaties with it you cut it off right when you're circumcised you're either circumcised or you're not circumcised it's just kind of a straight up physical reality spiritually he's saying you need to be circumcised and how are you circumcised circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God how, do you, how are you circumcised you're circumcised by the spirit of God nobody nobody pulls off circumcision by doing good things nobody pulls off circumcision of the heart by anything that they can accomplish it's going to be accomplished by the spirit of god and in romans 1, 16 and 17, he says by faith as it's written the just shall live by faith by faith we accept the spirit of god is capable of circumcising our hearts and by faith we believe that the gospel brings the power of God and the righteousness of God. So it doesn't matter if you're unrighteous. It doesn't matter if you're self-righteous. It doesn't matter how much good you do or don't do or think you do or don't think you do. You still need this, <clears throat> the Spirit of God to circumcise your heart. And that's where Paul's going. We're going to unpack next week, chapters 3 and 4. It's going to be a little bit more of the same, but he's going to start explaining what does it mean when we say, the just shall live by faith. What does it mean to be justified? To When we say, you know, we kind of, I mean, tonight even, I try to be careful not to do it, but I think I do it without trying. We can use Christian expressions without thinking, right? I can say things like, you need to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little more next week, chapters 3 and 4. If you want, chapters 3 and 4 aren't horribly long. You can read them through at least a couple times. You can probably read it through once a day, between now and Wednesday, and you'll be ready to to ready to go, ready to watch, ready to tell me what I said wrong. Um, But we're going to look. He's going to carry this idea further. If we're all sinners, how desperately do we need the Lord? If we all need the Lord, how do we receive a right relationship with the Lord? And so that's where we're going to be. So we're still in, if it helps you, I hope it does, if you think of it as basically a theological city, you've got the courthouse, the power plant, the synagogue, and the church. We're still in the courthouse. Paul's still going to make sure that we understand We're guilty. Paul does not want anybody to get through the book of Romans thinking, I think I've got this, right? Nobody, nobody has the right to, if you read through Romans and think you're still awesome, you need to go back to the beginning and read it again. But we're going to keep unpacking that, but just don't, for this week, remember a couple things. The gospel is the power of God and the righteousness of God through faith. And the spirit is the one who circumcises your heart, right? Right? we're not righteous apart from either of those things apart from those we are you can pick the most perverted sin that you personally can think of and you in the eyes of god are just that wicked apart from those things right there that's where we all are we are all separated from the righteousness of god but with those things we have full access to the righteousness and power of god so lord thanks for your word we're excited to get to go through this book together as a church. We pray that you would minister to our hearts through it, that you would speak to us, that we would draw close to you. God, we want to we wanna really understand the gospel, not just as a, as a one-time truth, but as an active truth that should be changing our lives every day. So I pray that, that as we're in this book, that you would speak to us, that we would draw closer to you and just be more aware of your presence, more aware of our need for you, that you would impact our lives and that we would not leave unchanged. So have your way with us, go before us, be with us, guide us and lead us and it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen.